Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and I'll be your host this evening. And I'm very, very pleased also to inform all of you that this program is being recorded by Airs LA, and that is www.airsla.org, where you can listen to thousands of different podcasts that are all related to vision impairment, research, technology, and blindness. In addition, Airs LA, they have many of the most popular magazine articles and this will be a way that you can listen to current magazines at the leisure of your home, your computer, or on your cell phone. Well, this evening, we're going to be talking about a topic that's quite interesting to many of you who have requested it, and we're going to specifically talk about developing your own business. That's right. Developing your own business as a person who is visually impaired is something that is very interesting to many, many people. The reason for this is that we know that one of the largest challenges of adults who have low vision is employment. We know that as many as 75% of the working age adults who have vision impairment are not employed. The reasons for this are many. Many times it may be that our employers do not know what a person who is visually impaired can or cannot do. I'm often amazed at the many of times that I use my computer and people come up to me and they say, hey, your computer is talking to you. I never thought that a blind person could ever use a computer. I've also have had times when I've been doing things around my home where I've been just washing windows, waxing the car, or cutting the lawn and people are just so amazed. They said, how can you do these things? You're blind, but you're doing these kinds of jobs. So one of the things that's very important is that we have to try to learn to do the things that we want to do so that we can show and educate the general public that being visually impaired doesn't mean that we're disabled. It just means that we may do things in a slightly different way. I think another reason that many people who are visually impaired are unemployed is because of the fact that they feel that transportation is something that is too difficult. Over here in Los Angeles, the bus system is not really one of the best, and so many people feel that it's too difficult to get from home to work taking a bus. As a result, they often say, well, I can't work because I can't get a driver's license, and it's too hard to take a bus in Los Angeles. But that's also not a real good excuse because there are also other modes of transportation. If you work someplace, there might be a neighbor who works at the same company or who works close by. If you really wanted to, you could take a taxi or there's other types of metro access transportation services that will take you from curb to curb. And you could also learn to take public transportation very effectively if you take some mobility classes. A third reason that many people don't work after they have low vision is that many people just simply do not have the skills that are needed to work. I see it time and time and time again 
where I see students who are in high school who are visually impaired. And they come for their yearly checkup at our office, and they will ask us whether or not there's anything that we could do in forms of writing a letter or helping them so that they would graduate. And when we find out more about their academic performance, we find that they're reading at below the seventh level. They're spelling below the seventh level. They're doing math at below the seventh grade level. These students often don't have the skills that are necessary for them to be competitive. They don't realize that in the job market, they have to compete with college graduates and other people who are very, very capable of doing things. In other words, many of these students have not really been informed that they will one day have to compete with the rest of the world. Many of these kids will often tell me, well, I'm not really worried because when I graduate, it's going to be pretty good. I'm going to be able to get Social Security, and I could get $800 a month or $700 a month, and I'll have a good life. I'll live at my parents' home. I don't have to pay rent, and I'll have seven or $800 to go hang out with my buddies. It's going to be great. Well, many of them just don't know what life is really like. And another last particular example of why I think many people are not working is that many of the younger people who are visually impaired, they are often one of the income sources for their parents. Here in Los Angeles, we have a very, very large Mexican population. Many times, the parents have immigrated to the United States in search of work. And with the construction and the job market being as poor as it is now, there are many of the parents who do not work. These are illegals who are here, and the way that they survive is they actually survive on some of the income that their children receive. Because they have low income, the child may qualify for Social Security, Supplemental Security income, and these parents, they are very, very fond of the fact that their child is earning this income through Social Security because of their vision impairment. As a result, these parents often do not want their kids to go away to college because they want their child to continue to live at home with them so that that check will still come there. So tonight, we're going to talk about developing your own business as a person who is visually impaired. The reason I think this is a very important discussion is that for myself, I have somewhat of an interesting story. For most of my life, I always wanted to become an eye doctor. At the age of six, there was a vision screening at our school, and the school nurse told me that I needed glasses. Well, I didn't think I needed glasses. I thought that I saw well. But when I went to the eye doctor, the eye doctor let me play with all the instruments, and when he put those glasses on, I was just amazed at how clearly I could see. I went home that day, and all the kids on the block were playing baseball, and I said, this is going to be great. I'm going to finally be able to hit the ball. And the first time that that ball came to me, it looked gigantic. And I swung the hardest that I could, and I hit a home run. I just was convinced there that being an eye doctor would be the best job ever. Well, for many years after that, I studied and went to 
UCLA and then became an eye doctor and then worked very hard to develop a practice. But unfortunately, I developed my own vision impairment in 2004. It was ironic. How could an eye doctor develop a vision problem? That's not supposed to happen. Well, it progressed day after day to the point where shortly after I had to retire and my life just turned upside down. I was married. I had two children. I had two car payments. I had a big house payment. I had all sorts of loans that I had owed money for student loans, and I just didn't know what I was going to do. All of my life, I had trained to become an eye doctor. That was the only thing that I knew how to do. So when I was retired, I started to think of what kind of work could I possibly get? I started to ask people if they knew of anybody who might hire me. And they said, well, what can you do? You can't drive to work. You can't see well enough to read things. You can't see well enough to use a computer. And I found that most people just thought that I really didn't have the skills. And in many ways, they were absolutely correct. I began to worry about my family. You know, how are we going to survive? How are we going to make our payments and so on and so forth? So I then started to think about maybe I'll start my own business. The reason I thought about this was that I was listening to talk radio and they were talking about Apple and how Steve Jobs, how he started this company out of his garage. And I started to remember about so many other stories of people who started their own companies from their home. For me, I thought by starting a business at home, this would be perfect because I was too afraid to be seen in public with my cane. Even though I had a cane, even though I was trained to use a cane, I never wanted anybody in the world to see me, Dr. Bill, with a cane. I was too embarrassed to be seen as a person with a vision impairment. Well, I started to think of all the different types of possibilities. What are things that I could do at home? How would I be able to do some of these different types of businesses? And soon, I came up with so many ideas that I really became quite happy. I was thinking, this is something that perhaps I could do in a successful way. One of the first things that I did is that I decided that I was going to study from home. Even though I was partially sighted, I realized that if I had the right equipment, that I would be able to see all the different types of textbooks and the magazines and the different articles, and I purchased a video magnifier. Now, the video magnifier is similar to a computer screen that you place on your desk, and you could put books, you could put newspapers, you could put anything underneath there, and it will magnify it on the screen. Well, what I decided that I was going to do at that time is I decided I was going to study the stock market. I had known nothing about the stock market before, but I thought this could be a way that I could trade stocks from my home, and I would be able to handle all of this independently. I started to purchase all sorts of different books and different journals and newspapers and things so I could learn as much as I could. I took advantage of the National Library Service, where I could check out books at no charge. One of the first ones that I checked out was a book by Warren Buffett, 
one of the most successful stock traders and investors of all time. I figured, hey, that's as good of a place to start as any. Shortly after, I found a radio show. It was on every Sunday, and it was called Money Talk by Bob Brinker. And he had a recommended reading list that he would talk about. So I went to the National Library Service website, and I checked out those books too. So within a couple of months, I really felt pretty comfortable about understanding just the basics about the stock market, and I started to invest. And as I started to invest, I started to feel much more comfortable, and it was a way that I was able to earn some income. And this was something that I really felt quite good about. Well, shortly after, I started to talk to other people, other people that I would meet at the library. Sometimes I would meet people at the bookstore. And shortly after, people were starting to ask me, you know, how am I able to invest and read all of these books considering the fact that I was visually impaired? They saw me using magnifiers and different devices to try to read. And shortly after, a lot of them wanted to hire me to do investing for them. So I thought to myself, this could be a great business for myself, where I could be a person who will be a guidance counselor for people with the investing. I thought about that very, very seriously, but I realized that even though I was comfortable and successful doing this for myself, as soon as I would invest for somebody else, it would probably mean failure. I was also concerned that if I were investing for other people and the market went down one day, they would probably call and complain, and I really didn't want that. So the next thing that I did is I continued to do that type of investing, and I then decided that I really also wanted to own real estate. I said, how can I learn more about real estate? So I opened up a business where I was doing property management. It sounds like a big term, and I've heard people say that before, but I realized that anybody who is a owner of real estate, they need somebody to handle that real estate for them. They need somebody to collect the rent. They need somebody to call the tenants if they're late on their rent. They need somebody that the tenants can call if there's a problem to the building. They need somebody to take care of situations with their taxes. So I opened up this property management type of a business, and it really gave me a lot of insight that helped me to learn about apartment buildings. At the same time, I was still doing investing, and I really was very, very excited about how all of this worked. As a property manager, it was something that I knew that I could charge between 10 to 20% of the total rental income, and that would be my fee for the month. Well, I did find that there were many different types of real estate investors, and these folks had many, many apartments. I was thinking that if I could do a good job with just one of them, making it easy for them and to create reports for them, that they might really appreciate my service and they'll give me many of the other apartments they had. Well, fortunately, that was something that happened, and I then worked very, very hard to try to find people who could help the owners of these apartment buildings. 
I interviewed many, many plumbers, many carpenters, many painters, electricians, gardeners, landscapers. I interviewed so many until I could find what I felt was the best team. And I told these people that if they do a great job, I think that I could give them more and more work if we get more and more of these apartments. And that particular strategy worked very, very well because before long, we were managing many apartment buildings and the crew of gardeners, electricians, and painters, they were much busier because they had steady work. As a result, they were willing to charge me less money and I was able to save money for the owners of the property and they were very happy with that as well. So overall, starting a business is something that is very, very easy to do. I think we often think that starting a business is something that will cost a significant amount of money, but it really doesn't have to. So I think the first thing to think about is if you do want to start your own business, I feel it's very important that you find a business that you're going to be passionate about. If you read many of the different types of business books that are out there, you'll find some common features. Number one, almost all of these people who are extremely successful in their businesses, they were very, very passionate about the product or the business that they started. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, these men were so passionate about computers that it wasn't necessarily work for them. It was their hobby, and this hobby led to much success. When you think about Mrs. Fields and how she started her cookie company out of a small little shack, it was her passion just to make cookies that really made her successful. And from that, she has developed a multi-multi-million dollar business. So I think if you think about a business that you're really passionate about, something that you really love, that is the first thing to start with. The next thing is to think about what particular type of business are you passionate about and you are also skilled at. In other words, is there something that you love but you also know a lot about or you can learn a lot about? I had a client and this patient just loved, loved, loved dogs. And he loved dogs so much he was only a high school student his parents were very low income. And when we talked, he said, you know, I just love dogs. If I could only have a dog, I would be so happy. He said, you know, anything that I could do with dogs is what's going to make me happy in my life. And I said, well, why don't you just go get a dog? He says, well, our apartment that we live in, they won't allow us to have dogs. And he says, you know, if I could, I'd like to be able to earn some money so that maybe one day I could get my own house or my own condominium and have my own dog. And I could see how it really excited him. So I said, hey, why don't we go out for lunch one day? I'm going to pick you up. Well, my wife's going to pick you up. And we're going to go out to lunch, and I want to talk to you about this a little bit further. So we went out to lunch, and what I said is that he could start a business, even right now, where he could make money and he could work with dogs. And he said, hey, Dr. Bill, I'm not a veterinarian. I can't do that. I said, no, but what about being a dog walker? And he goes, a what? I said, a dog walker. 
what you're going to do after school is that you're going to take the dogs in the neighborhood for a walk. You could go door to door to the neighborhood near your house and find out if anybody has a dog and you will charge them to walk their dog for them. I said a lot of people would love it if you could walk their dogs for them because some people, they get home from work late and by the time they get home, it's too dark. Well, before long, he had over 20 dogs that needed walking and he charged a very nominal fee, but it was to the point where he was making more money by walking dogs than if he had a regular type of a job working at McDonald's or some other place like that. The next thing that I had told him that he should also do is to volunteer at the dog pound. If he volunteered at the animal shelter, he could learn, learn about how to take care of the dogs, to feed them, to groom them, to do what he needed to do, and this will be a great way that he can meet other people. So he started to volunteer at the animal shelter, and he just loved it. In his mind, it was almost as though he had his own dog because he was with dogs after school and on the weekends. Well, before long, he had saved enough money that he did go on to go to community college, and he did get his own apartment. He found an apartment where they would allow him to have small dogs. He adopted a dog from the shelter, and he was just so happy. At the present time, it's his goal that he could become a technician for a veterinary clinic. And this is something that works really well, where he's still making money just simply from walking these dogs. It's kind of funny. I asked my wife to drive by his neighborhood one morning, and I wanted to see if he was out there walking dogs. And my wife says, there he is. He had about 10 dogs, you know, all attached to his arms. And these dogs were just so well-behaved, following each other from one place to another. It was a really, really great sight. So this is just a story that shows that with any kind of passion that you may have, whether it's animals or if you're going to do some arts and crafts or maybe you enjoy baking, these are different types of businesses that you can do. My wife, she got into the same idea as I did after I retired, that she said, well, the one thing that I really love to do is I love to bake cookies and pastries. So she started a business where she makes gift baskets of fancy cookies and pastries, and these are things that a lot of the different types of business people will give to their clients. She has some of the different car dealerships. Anytime that a customer buys a car from them, they actually send over a basket of these pastries, and people really like it. So there's many, many different types of professions that you can do out there. I have a young patient who I taught how to use a computer to use JAWS and to type. And he now has a dictation business. He basically does medical dictation for doctors. The doctors record into a tape recorder. The doctors then drop off the cassette tape at his house. He types them up that night. And then the next morning, the staff comes over and picks up the reports and they're ready to go. He's doing very, very well, very, very successful type of a business. I have another patient who went to massage therapy, and this person is doing massage therapy out of the home. I have another patient from his home. He's doing auto detailing. And I said, how is it that you're doing auto detailing? And he says, you know, I don't really go by what the car looks like. I do everything by feel. 
so I could feel if there's a slightly rough spot on the car, I know that I need to put more wax and buff it out. So the next question is, what do you do after you have determined what business you're passionate about and what business that you're skilled out? The next thing is that you want to talk to people about this. You might want to talk to some of your friends and get some of their ideas about it. You want to think about who would be your customer or based on where you live, who would be willing to come to your home to receive that service or how could the customers get whatever it is that they want to you? How would they know that you have this business? So this means advertising and different types of marketing. Will it be realistic? that you could make enough money that you would like to make from this particular type of home business. When we think about some of these different types of business plans, that's what you want to do. You want to get a pencil and paper, and you want to write down, if I get five customers this week, how much money will I make? Would that be enough money to do the things that I want to do? If I work and I'm doing waxing cars, and I charge $100 a car, and I do four cars during the weekend, will that be enough money to let me buy the things that I want to do? $400 for two days of work is really quite good. So when you figured out that this business may be successful and it may work out, you then want to go ahead and proceed. You want to proceed with a trial plan. This is where you might talk to certain people that you know, or it might be friends of friends, and you just might let them know, hey, you know, I just started up this car waxing business, and I was wondering, would you like to give my business a shot? I'd be willing to do the first car waxing for you for free. Or you might say, I'll do it for you for 50% off. Or I'll do this one at 50% off if you refer another car to me. And go ahead and do the job that you're going to do and see how they like it. Get an idea if these people really think that your business is good. Is the level of work that you're doing satisfactory? The gentleman I told you who has the medical dictation business, I basically gave him a client, and I told him to tell the client, will you give me a chance? I will type out all of your medical reports for one week at no charge. And if you like the work, would you just give me a chance? And if you don't like the work, I understand. Well, that doctor loved his work so much that he gave him so much business that every day this is all that he needs. He doesn't need any other doctors. This doctor is paying him $5.25 for each page that he types up for him. So this is something that worked out very, very well. Now, the third step is after you have identified that this business is something that people like and they are complimenting you in an honest way and they are referring people to you, you then want to do the business in the official way. Now, the way that you open up a business officially is that you do have to make a new business name. Now, this is something that is often called the fictitious name or it might be considered the DBA, meaning doing business as. So let's say, for example, that you are a person 
who is really, really good at cooking, and you want to start a cooking business from your home. This will be a business where you're going to prepare meals for certain people. Let's say you have a neighbor who's very, very busy, and they have children, and she wants her children to eat healthy, but she just can't prepare the foods. That is what your job will be. You're going to prepare the meals for this family. So you might call this business healthy foods at your home. Okay? Now that is what's called a fictitious name or a doing business as type of a name. That particular type of name is a name that you could use. You could put it in the yellow pages to advertise. You could put it in the recycler to advertise. You could make your web page on the Internet, and that will be how people would find you. Now, in order to make a fictitious name, you have to do a couple of things, first of all. You want to first then talk to an accountant. Maybe you have a friend or relative who's an accountant, or you could even go to H&R Block or some of these other places. What you then do is you want to go there and you tell them that I am starting a new business. And they'll say, what kind of business? Well, I'm going to start a cooking business, and we're going to be making healthy foods. What they will then ask you is, do you have a federal tax ID number? The reason that that's important is because the government always wants their taxes. And you say, no, I don't. And what they'll do is that they'll go on to the computer and they will help you to apply for a federal tax ID number. You just give your name, your address, your telephone number, and then you can simply give them that information and they can apply for that federal tax ID number. Now, the reason it's really important to get a federal tax ID number is because when you have a business, you have to provide some kind of identification of who you are. The government wants to know who you are. Now, you can give them your Social Security number, or you could get this federal tax ID number. It's much safer to get the federal tax ID number because if you put in your Social Security number and your Social Security number is floating around all over the place, there's a greater chance that somebody might be able to do identity theft. They might steal your credit cards or they might get into your bank accounts. They might cause other types of credit problems for you. So never give anybody your Social Security number unless you absolutely have to. So this is why... When you're opening the business, you want to get a federal tax ID number. Now, after you have received the federal tax ID number, the state of California will send you a letter and a package, and they will say, here's your federal tax ID number. You could take that paperwork, and you take it down to the bank. Now, you're going to open up a checking account, and this checking account is going to have that federal tax ID number on it, and you're going to have a checking account that will have the name of your business. So if we called it Healthy Foods at Your Home or AAA Auto Detailing, or it might be that you're a life coach. It might be Bob Smith Consulting. You could call it anything that you want, 
and you want to then open up that type of a checking account at the bank. So that is something that is very, very simple to do. You may need to open it up with $50 or $100, but once you have that checking account open, you're ready now to deposit the money you make into that account. If you are going to be doing business online, when you go to the bank, you could also tell them that I have a Internet site and some people may be paying me through the Internet. What they could then do is they could help you to set up a web page so that your web page can take credit cards. And when somebody goes on the Internet and they want to purchase a gift basket from you or whatever else you're selling, they could just enter in their credit card information and the money is going to go directly into your bank. So that's really very, very convenient so that you don't have to worry that somebody is giving you a bad check or you don't have to worry about how are you going to get the cash directly from them. I find it really helpful if people are making the payments with their credit card through that Internet account. Now, the next thing that you can also do as you're setting up your fictitious name, doing business as, is that you want to go to your local newspaper. It does not have to be a big paper like the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times. It could be a very small one. And you talk to the person at the newspaper and you say, I want to run an ad for my new business. And what they want you to do is in the classifieds, you have to announce that you have this new business. So it might say, Joe Smith doing business as healthy foods at your home. And with this advertisement in the newspaper, it's also one way that the people could see you have this business but it's also a notification to the community that you do have this business that way. So that is something that will take you perhaps two to three days to get all of those things accomplished, to get your federal tax ID, to go to the bank, open up a bank account, and then go to the newspaper and get your fictitious name or doing business as. And that way you're then ready to go. Now, if you want to then, you could start to do your marketing. The marketing is something that is really very, very fun. It's very easy to do. You might have some friends or relatives who might be good in art. They might make a flyer for you. Or if you have a computer, you could go on the computer and they have the great templates where you could make flyers. Other times, you might simply go to some of the high schools or the junior colleges you might find some of the students who are just really, really great at making advertisements in these flyers. So you go there and you get these things printed up. You could go to Office Depot or Staples, and they often have discounts for people who just started a new business. Print out all these flyers and just begin to deliver them door-to-door near your neighborhood. Give them to other people that you think might really appreciate your service. One of the more popular businesses that's really developing now is what's called a job coach. And a job coach is basically a person who can help different people who are very busy to do the things that they need to do. 
Maybe it's an executive for a company, and this guy is just too busy. He wants a personal type of secretary who could schedule his golf dates. Maybe it's his anniversary. He wants somebody to go pick out a present for his wife. He wants somebody to organize his vacation. I've seen many people who have gotten into the travel agency business because there's very few travel agents. And what they do from their home is that they then set up and arrange different vacations for people, and it's a very, very successful type of business. You could do other types of businesses where you might simply be a person who is going to do dictation and you're going to type reports for people. Or maybe you're really good on the computer and you could do PowerPoint presentations. I have another college student who just wanted to make more money and he loves the computer. He uses a screen magnification program called ZoomText and I told him, why don't you go to all the professors at the university and ask them if they would like for you to convert their slides into PowerPoints. And he is so busy doing that because all of these old professors still use the 35-millimeter slides. And what he does is he takes them, he scans them into the computer, and makes a PowerPoint presentation, and he charges them for each particular slide. So overall... There's many, many different ways that you could be very successful in starting these types of businesses. I found that if you do something that you're passionate in and you have the skill to do it, you could be very, very successful. Now, what if you feel that you need a little bit more help? There's help available at many places. I would recommend you would start at the Department of Rehabilitation. The State Department of Rehabilitation will help you if you're a high school senior going into college or if you're a college student or maybe you're an adult and you lost your job. They are there to help you to gain employment, whether the employment will be something that you do on your own from home or to find a job. They often are going to be very helpful in helping you to select what business to start or what career to pursue. If it requires that you have to go to school and get some training, maybe you need to take some courses so you could become more skilled in using something, or you want to be more efficient in typing, the Department of Rehabilitation will often help. What's also really very helpful is that the Department of Rehabilitation will also help you with your low vision care. Here in Los Angeles, the California Department of Rehabilitation, they refer people with low vision to our center, which is called the Center for the Partially Sighted. They pay for the clients to get a complete examination. They pay for all the glasses that the client might need. They'll pay for all the magnifiers, the telescopes, the sunglasses, and all the technology that they'll need. So I just had a young woman come to my office two days ago, and she would like to become a child development specialist. So the Department of Rehabilitation, they authorized for her to get a MacBook Pro computer. They authorized for her to get a desktop CCTV. They authorized for her to get a scanning program that would read aloud for her. And all of this type of equipment, probably more than $10,000, 
was something that the Department of Rehab was willing to help her because they feel that she had a very, very good career plan. You could also go to other places such as the Employment Development Department. They have very good resources. They could tell you how to set up different aspects of your payroll. If you have employees, they could tell you how to set up your payroll. Or maybe you're the only person in your business. They will tell you how to set up a retirement account, which will save you taxes. You could go to places such as H&R Block or even speak to the people at Social Security. Maybe you are receiving Social Security benefits. They will gladly talk to you to help you so that you can perhaps continue to receive Social Security benefits while you're earning income. So overall, these are some of the main guidelines. Just to review them again, I think number one, find something that you're passionate about and that you are skillful at. If you're not skillful at it yet, take classes so that you can become skilled at it. Number two, you then want to do a trial run and talk to people in your neighborhood or other people that you know. Share these ideas and see if they are interested in the service or the products that you're selling. If it seems to be successful, go ahead and then open up your own business officially. You want to get the federal tax ID number. You could get that by going to a CPA or an accountant. You then want to open up a bank account, and you want to create a fictitious name. The fictitious name is something that you could use on your business cards, on your web page. If you're going to advertise, you could create flyers. You could do all these things, Twitter, Facebook. They're great ways of advertising. Once you have set that up, you're now ready to begin your marketing let everybody you know who might even be interested, let them know about your business. It's always helpful to give people a discount at the first time. Tell them, I'm going to give you a 10% discount or a 20% discount. If they do come to you and they like the work that you have done, call them up two or three days later. Hey, this is Bill. I just wanted to see if everything is good. Are you still pleased with the the wax job that we did on your car, or how did you like the cookies that we made you, or how, how, how was you know the painting that we did at your home, did you like it? Just do a follow-up to make certain that your customer is happy. And from there, continue to develop your business, and you too will be very, very successful. Uh, let's go ahead and we're going to open it up to questions. If anybody has any questions or other things that they would like to add, we have about five minutes. And I would also like just to remind all of you that this podcast will be up at the Airs LA website, which is www.airsaisla.org. It's also going to be up at the cclvi.org website at www.cclvi.org. And it will also be broadcasted on ACB Radio this Friday night, beginning at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And you could listen to that at www.acbradio.org. So 
uh, let's have you unmute your phone if you have any questions or comments. Press star six, and we'll take any comments or other suggestions that you have. This is Ken Stewart. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm Bill, thank you. Uh, a few things to add. I got on the call a little bit late, so I apologize if anything that I say you've already said. Um, have you described, discussed the, at all the difference between being an independent contractor and an employee? No, we have not got into that depth. That is something that we did recommend that people can speak to the people at some of the CPA offices and H&R Block. But, yeah, that's a, another topic of uh, great discussion. It gets, it gets pretty simple as far as I'm concerned because if you're approaching somebody like to walk their dogs or something like that, if you're an independent contractor rather than an employee, it's going to be better. For, it's going to be easier for them because the independent contractor pays all his own overhead. There's no uh, no benefits or anything that the person has to do for you. And the basic difference is at least here in New York State, and I imagine it's typical in other states too. The independent contractor does two things differently than an employee. They set their own hours and they bring their own equipment. So if you're going to be a dog walker, if you bring your own leash, <laughs> I have a hunch that qualifies you as an independent contractor and say, you know, I'm available at 3.30 but not at 3.45, you know, you're setting your own hours too. So that, so I think, in other words, it's very advantageous to somebody else to use you as an independent contractor rather than an employee. It's a lot simpler. Then you mentioned about getting yourself a name. You called it a fictitious name. I wouldn't call that. I would just call it a business name because they can use their own name. It doesn't have to be a f fake name. But And you agree with that, Bill, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but the first thing to do is to do a name search. You want to be sure you're not picking a name that somebody else already has been using. And, of course, the Internet makes it easy to do that. So before you create your own name, do a name search. <clears throat> and then getting a tax number accountants charge for their, you know, they don't do pro bono work typically, so they're going to charge you an hourly rate or whatever, like attorneys do, not as expensive attorneys, but they're going to charge you. So I would recommend people go to the IRS directly on your own. The IRS is extremely helpful. I've had many very positive experiences with them. Most of the year they've got, you know, more time than things to do, and they would just be loved, you know, love to help somebody that says, you know, please help me get a, a, a tax number. And I think you'll find them very, very helpful. And then you talk about going to banks, and I would also encourage people, when you're going to open a bank account, if there's more than one bank in your local area, go to both of them, go to all of them, because sometimes they're very eager to get a new account, and they'll give you a better deal than maybe another bank does. You know, it's almost, Sometimes it's even negotiable in terms of whether it's annual fee, monthly fee, uh, whatever, a uh, little bit of interest if you build up a, uh, you know, some uh, cash reserve with them or whatever. So I would encourage people to check out more than one bank before you decide on a bank. And then you talk about uh, getting advertising. There are a lot of these local newspapers, typically like a weekly or something, that have journalists that are looking for more stories. And it doesn't take much to catch their interest to do a feature of, on you, what you're doing, if you can put a twist to it, like, I'm going to open up a dog walking business, and the first couple of weeks I'm going to donate half of the money I make to the local dog shelter because it's really I really have problems there. Or I got a really unique way of walking dogs. You know, they re they be behave differently if I'm holding the leash with my left hand and my right hand. You know, you can do gimmick things that'll get a get a reporter's interest, and then you can sometimes get you know free publicity by getting them to write an article for you. Great, those are great tips and suggestions. Thank you, Ken. You're very welcome, Bill. Does anybody else have any other uh, comments or suggestions or questions that you'd like to add? Any other questions? 
Okay. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for participating and attending this seminar this evening on developing your own business. And again, just to remind you that this will be on the CCLVI website later this week. Also, it will be on the airsla.org, www.airsla.org. And you could also hear this on ACB Radio uh, this Friday evening at 7 p.m. Pacific and 10 p.m. Eastern. So we thank you. We'd like to thank Mr. Dick Burden for recording this, and we look forward to hearing all of you next month. Good night, everybody. Thank you.